Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, welcome Amanda Bond, eco-psychotherapist and certified forest therapy guide and mentor. She's also co-chair of the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy Guides and Programmes for the European Council. And she's also founder of Edgewalker Nature Connections, the the, uh, website of which you can find on the link on this podcast. Amanda, thanks very much for joining us. Forest therapy, what is it? I'm so intrigued to know what it is exactly. Forest therapy is an adaptation and evolving practice from what was devised by the uh, Japanese in the tech boom in the 1980s as an answer to huge stress um, caused by burnout and people were actually dying as a consequence. So the Japanese health authorities decided that they needed to do something quite drastic and radical. And because the Japanese have a, as a culture are linked to the forests, they thought, well, why don't we try taking people out of the city into the forest and see what happens? So that began a series of um, studies and developed into forest bathing or shiminyoku. Shiminyoku literally just means bathing in the forest. Um, so it's breathing in, receiving the, um, the air, the energy of the forest. Forest therapy, as I said, um, has developed from that initial simple practice of walking in the forest. The Japanese authorities found different ways of creating workshops and three-day retreats, events that enhance the experience. And they have various ways of um, offering that to individuals and companies and the like. The Association of Nature and Forest Therapy Guides and Programs that I belong to is a Californian-based organisation that was created by a guy called Amos Clifford, who had been a wilderness therapist for 35 plus years, also a psychotherapist. And he saw the value of Shimunyoku and realising that in the times that we're living in, people have got so separated from nature, and mm-hmm. um, particularly living in cities, towns, urban environment, that um, there was a real need to reconnect people with nature. And so he created a, a, a stru- an infrastructure, a framework of a particular walk, um, offering invitations to engage with the senses um, that developed from that initial shinyoku. Oh wow, that's really interesting. Well, what got you into it? How did you find out about it in the first place? I suffered from chronic fatigue and um, long-term effects of um, trauma for many, many years and um, tried all sorts of modalities um, to find some kind of healing and um, recovery from extremely disabling and immobilizing um, symptoms. Realizing through um, courses and things that I attended that the key thing, the core element that always I came back to was nature. Mm. And that had started when I was just 19 years old. Going through um, some really, really difficult um, and terrible times in the family 
mm. I went to California and um, worked in the canyons and around Malibu. But I had a lot of free time for myself. So I used to wander out in the canyons and really have extraordinary encounters because, you know, it was a new country, very, very different to where I come from. Yeah. And there are lots of wild creatures there too. So learn very fast, you know, how to move safely through an, a wild environment like that. I have family living in Oregon, which is sort of north of um, California. Yeah. And on one visit there, I traveled through the coastal redwoods. And that experience changed my life. There's no doubt about it. And just being amongst those extraordinary trees, I mean, you just have a sense of, uh, it, oh, it's so difficult to describe, that the, the, um, you're in the presence of beings that have seen history. And, you know, some of them are thousands of years old. And you imagine or try to imagine what they have seen in their lifetimes, mm. just being. And um, that energy somehow crosses over to oneself. Mm -hmm. So that when I returned from the California back to Jersey, I kept that within. And I draw on that. And, and still do ever since. And over the years, you know, I've got four, well, grown up children now. And we spend all our time as a family outdoors in nature, either at the beach or in the woods. And there was something that I didn't get that I had done when I was in the Redwoods. I um, had an opportunity to start doing something for myself again. Mm. And I um, returned to a, a training with Neil's Yard and in natural medicine and that took me to um, the beautiful countryside in Dorset where their headquarters used to be where I learned about making natural medicines but also went to the south west of France and to the mountainous area there mm. and um, again that kind of wild sense of being in an ancient place just transformed my way of looking at the world and I remembered that connection with those redwood trees and came back to that after you know, a great deal of stress and trauma and that has um, enabled me to move into recovery from these long-term chronic conditions. That's amazing, that's, I mean that's really, I mean it's extraordinary. Ask, can you describe the experience of walking in the forest when you, um, when you do it? I mean what, what do you love about it? What's, what's the thrill that you experience? Um, when you're when you step foot in the forest, I get this um, sense of um, tranquility and um, safety, mm -hmm. a feeling of being held, unsupported, mm. um, and I don't believe that's necessarily just kind of coming from my own experience of that. I think that goes way, way back through our evolution and our ancient times living in forests where, you know, where we were the large proportion of human development we, we lived. And um, so there's something in, in our cellular makeup that recognises it. Quite, you know, when you really just, particularly if you're on your own or you have a, 
a, a space even with others where it's quiet and you don't talk, then the, there's, the silence opens up a new awareness of that everything's alive and that there's energy all around you and that you're part of it and that you start to um, become aware that that although you are observing, you are also being observed. And if you sit for a while, it's quite remarkable. The creatures that quite often will come and investigate and just kind of observe you <laughs> and sit with you. Um, recently in New Zealand, um, I had participated on a, on a colleague's virtual forest therapy walk. So I was walking in a, in a park in Christchurch and she was in the north of um, New Zealand on an island where she lives, delivering this walk. And I had stopped for um, one of the invitations to um, engage in a, something that she'd offered. Mm -hmm. and was sitting there quietly and just sort of just slowly connecting with what was around me. And I suddenly heard this thundering like noise coming towards me. I thought, what on earth is that? And literally out of the brush, a giant hair came out. Oh, word. Literally around me, circled around me, stopped within about four feet of me and mm -hmm. stared at me, <laughs> gazed at me. Mm -hmm. And I gazed back. I know it's just like, <laughs> I, I thought, am I seeing things? <laughs> And then it just dashed off again into the brush and I was left quite stunned for quite some time. <laughs> you know, it's like seeing the, the you know, the white rabbit or something. <laughs> and that's, I found this, you know, particularly in forests, mm. this kind of extraordinary happening really does occur quite regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose there is, I mean, there's so much life in the, in the forest, in the woods, isn't there? I mean, yeah. you know, you, if you walk through it or if you're on a bike, you sort of, you just like, you know, there's loads of you and there's loads of noise and there's kids and dogs and everything's running around. You don't necessarily um, experience it. You don't actually see it, but you kind of have an, an awareness that there's all those birds, you know, there's kind of a little bit of sound. But as you say, when you stop and you just take time to listen and to be, like a tree <laughs> um would yeah. i suppose um yeah then this is the place is teeming with life and it and it comes to you as you say it's it's phenomenal yeah. that's amazing i mean you mentioned you went on this uh, virtual walk and you kind of intimated that um she offers something i mean on a on one of your uh, forest therapy walks um on this sort of part of this sort of shinrin yuko how do you i mean what happens could you kind of explain what might happen if somebody was going to come on a forest walk with you so initially welcome whoever comes along to join me in forest therapy try to encompass all cultures yeah um, and not be specific to one and so then we will go into what we call the pleasures of presence so that's a, a little bit like a meditation so a visual guidance into the sensory awareness so you guide the um, walk participants through a series of awarenesses of their breath, the body, 
connection with their surroundings. And then from there, we um, have a little bit of a, a sharing circle where just say, name something that has come to our attention, for example. And then after that, we go into a series of invitations. And in between each invitation is another sharing circle which can be um, just one word or something, you know, enlarged on that, depending on the individual wish to participate in that way. Mm -hmm. And everything that we invite and offer is, in, is um, completely voluntary. So there's no obligation to do anything. Yeah. So even if the invitation is really quite open, someone might want to do something completely different and that's fine yeah. everything is welcome so mm -hmm. and each invitation um comprises um an action mm -hmm. in that we um invite people to say go for a little wander for 10 to 15 20 minutes and we always keep the time so that i don't need to worry about that and it's a solo journey mm -hmm. for that period of time in silence and we usually suggest that they pay attention to some particular sense. So maybe auditory, you know, hearing or sound, um, what they're looking at, um, what they're observing, um, or even um, sensing internally. And mm -hmm. um, so that, because that's got proprioception, there's mm -hmm. those internal sense of your surroundings, mm -hmm. um, or, um, you know, even taste, you know, sort of, and, we do invite people to taste things, leaves, etc., but only if they know exactly what they're, they're looking at and I don't, can identify it. Yeah. Um, so that's the framework. And then at the end of the walk, which is usually about two and a half hours long in physical group, um, we end with a um, tea ceremony so that I will offer a tea that I have foraged normally of some kind of herb or pine needles, for example, or um, you know, some kind of flowers and create a little um, infusion of t um, with hot water. But that's the, that's the framework. So two and a half hours with a series of invitations, mm. sharing circles and a tea ceremony. And at the beginning and the end, there's a kind of what we call um, thresholds. So you move from normal reality across a threshold into liminal space while you're on the walk and again at the end you cross a threshold back into more normal reality because many people will experience a different sense of time and space during the walk mm. so it's like a transition you kind of help broker that transition yes exactly it, and so it has been has been likened to a, a miniature vision quest like a mini miniature what sorry vision quest Oh, vision quest what's okay so um a vision quest is well known in um, indigenous cultures around the world and has different names but it's usually a time spent out in nature solo without eating or drinking um maybe with some water um for three to four days and um it's so it's a, a way to receive messages to life questions transitions and things Wow, that's, that's, that's quite a powerful thing. Very, yeah. yeah.
but you know you've got such a small percentage of people around the world will ever get the opportunity to take part in something like that that this forest therapy walk within two and a half hours can give a taste of what that could be that's that's, that's lovely um so when when people come along with you i mean what difference do you see in people what happens can you can you sort of describe maybe um what you've witnessed in somebody so there are many different responses and reactions but probably one of the most profound in such a short space of time i've ever seen was with an elderly gentleman in his 70s in on the island of sark um, and he has been living in sweden most of his life as an academic working at the university and he was he came and he was so full of questions he was he couldn't stop talking and i thought this is going to be interesting whether or not he is able just to be quiet and be with himself and um and nature and just connect on a different level but he was very open and willing to experiment and um so one of the in first invitations we do after this sort of a guided meditation um, phase is what we call um, what's in motion. And it is a 20 minute wonder observing what you see moving around you. Now, depending on the weather conditions, the time of day, the season, etc., um, that may be difficult to see anything that's moving. Mm. And it will be necessary to really slow down and see watch and look for tiny movements so you're almost not moving at all um so on this particular day it was one of those days where it was really still and very um warm day and so not no trees even the sea was really flat calm mm. and um at the end of this particular invitation, we came, the group came back together, we started sharing. And interestingly, I noticed straight away that this gentleman didn't leap to um, say something straight away, you know, immediately. Mm. When he did take his turn to share his experience, he was, it was, everyone was just totally blown away because he just said, was full of gratitude for the opportunity to really look at the world and his life in a different way wow. and that he felt completely transformed mm. so that's that's an example of the potential in one of these walks that's phenomenal i suppose his brain you think beforehand was so full of things and ideas and stuff and noise and and questions and energy and activity to to take someone in a in a safe quiet space um which is obviously guided and protected as well so there is an element of doing it with you know a group with with somebody like yourself who's um you know trained and an expertise you can allow yourself to um um yeah you can allow yourself time to just be um and and receive other things as you say, I mean, that must have been an amazing transformation for that chap um, to, to, to experience that. 
we're you know we're sort of coming out of the this covid well in theory we're coming out of this covid um nightmare why do you think it's important um more than ever that people consider getting outside in nature i think that there are several reasons one of which is that there's happily there is a greater awareness come out of this great pause as some people are calling it calling it that people have been seeking nature in whatever way they can to help them you know cope with emotions and feelings that have been surfacing during this time most people's lives are very busy they don't have a chance to just stop and and be Mm. and it's during this time in under lockdown conditions particularly um, when people have been indoors their normal thinking processes have been put aside mm. and so that things under the surface in the unconscious have started to emerge and mm. this time is called attention to mm. and you know that's you see different re um, results of that um, through more anxiety and states of depression and some aggression coming through um, you know lots of different ways of you know, meeting that so I think that um, what however possible it is for people coming out of um, lockdown mm. um, who have begun to meet these internal processes nature's there to help mm. and is a safe environment and is open and spacious for those big things those big questions and especially a lot of existential questions have arisen for many mm. um, to be held so that it's not kind of overwhelming mm. is there an in separate correspondence that you've you've sort of you know emailed correspondence between each other you mentioned that there's potentially a need for a nature-based health strategy and also to include it into the corporate built environment. I think that's absolutely um, spot on. I think it would be amazing for governments, for councils, for you know, small towns even, to small villages to include a nature-based health strategy and, in, and to include it in policy, particularly as you say, in this sort of corporate built environment. I also think into healthcare, which is a huge thing, schools, education, for you, you know, if in an ideal world, what would what would that look like? What would a, kind of a nature-based health strategy look like? It had to happen on different levels. Um, a project that I was involved in last year was to raise awareness of, of this exact theme um, at the Royal Horticultural Society's Chelsea Flower Show this year. Oh, yeah. Um, along with three other forest therapy guides, we worked with an award-winning landscape designer who has been doing a PhD on sensory salutogenic design in, in the urban environment. And we came up with a proposal to create um, an exhibit in the Discovery Zone at the Chelsea Show based on um, an urban forest experience. So we, worked, working with Gail, the designer, came up with um, a little pathway through different woodlands kind of glades, different trees, plantings, a water stream running through. But we also had um, an example of what could be an office space that had views out onto nature. 
and things included within it so that you know sort of bringing in patterns of nature colors um really good light um and um you know very good you know quality air using essential oils for example in, in indoors mm. um and because of um covid you know not, that's not happened this year um but we're looking to bring that um, to attention next year if possible mm -hmm. um, but it it really as far as a public health strategy we've been working with different organizations so that the in the uk the national health service they already have a national health service forest so in certain hospitals they have great areas of green um, space um, okay. that patients can go and visit it but that's very very small in comparison to the whole of the NHS. Um, there are um, companies, corporations, you know, lots of different kinds of retail, hospitality, commercial, um, you know, sort of corporate um, urban offices, etc. Yeah. buildings that can bring lots of these elements into their businesses and create better working conditions that will help people be, um, have clearer thinking, you know, be able to reduce stress, um, in, improve social dynamics, so that working dynamics change, and you know, teams will work better together. There are all kinds of um, wonderful benefits that the public health strategy to can bring that includes nature. And be lots amazing. of you know, in, in sort of biophilic design, solutogenic design. Um, to you know, bring those elements in. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, obviously, I interview and I talk to and I work with different interior designers and architects, and it it is encouraging that more biophilic design is being um, incorporated into um, office spaces, workplaces, and and things mm -hmm. just just by default um, now. But it's still you know a lot of it. I mean, we obviously if 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 it's in a certain area and they can't look out or there's no pitch, you know, no trees we bring images of nature in and we kind of even we've been asked for cushions because you know people can't have we don't have wall space at least they can kind of see um nature elements um real nature elements so photographic you know elements on on their sofas and and things which um which seems to be working yeah but um i mean i think it should be on the national curriculum i think you know being out in nature having forest therapy you know encouraging children to get out and understand and do planting and you know nurture um little flowers and food and so we understand where our food comes from even you know it's such a disconnect yeah. absolutely um, all of these things could be part of the strategy and i think one of the things i've you know in reading lots of different articles etc on biophilic design mm. i was talking to a number of professionals involved in it is yeah. that because they're designers they understand the aesthetics but unless they've really experienced this kind of different nature connection themselves even they are not um, so attuned to what can be experienced in a forest therapy walk mm. uh, so engaging all the senses and recognizing and remembering the true connection with nature so yeah. that you become a partner with nature and your kin yeah not separated working together with designers i think could really transform cities and towns and people's way of living and lifestyle and working environment
I, t- I totally agree. Um, I mean, everybody quotes, you know, Edward Wilson, E.O. Wilson's book in, you know, wrote in the 1980s, and he, you know, coined the phrase biophilia. But, um, and as you say, design, you know, I, I mean, this is my, my kind of um, thing that I'm <laughs> banging the drum about, really. But if you read the book again, I mean, I've, I've read it a couple of times just recently again, just to reconnect myself with it. He talks about focusing on ants, you know, the, the leaf cutter ants and get you know the microcosm of getting a big pile of earth with leaf mold and if you look at it really really closely you must have like a microcosm of the earth with mountains and hills and valleys and and it is about life it's about connecting with nature it's about nature (laughs) it's not just about design elements um there's, there's much more to that you know supporting those designers that are trying to incorporate sound better air quality all these different things that kind of echo what it's like to be outside in nature and to reconnect with our earlier selves if you want that kind of ancient primeval connection that we have with with a tree with with being outside i think is really really important uh, and what are you uh, working on right now I and mean, obviously you were in new zealand um, and you're now back in jersey I know you come over here and you're in, you do um, these forest therapy walks in sort of Devon, Cornwall and Brighton. You do retreats and workshops and stuff. What's, um, what's kind of the most sort of uh, the thing that's exciting you right now? Combination of things, Ness. Um, the Chelsea project I mentioned just now is something that's on hold at the moment, but is still very much alive. Yeah. Um, we look to see how things move this year to see what's possible for, for 2021. Met a, you know quite a number of professionals um, within the biophilic design field and hope to create more collaborations um, in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst I was in New Zealand, harking back to the public health strategy, um, I actually wrote to Jacinda Ardern. Um, yeah. Um, saying about how important it would be coming through COVID and post-COVID in the recovery phase of a pandemic that people are offered nature-based modalities and um, in their wellness strategy and that the public health strategy needs to be looked at differently rather than looking at pathologically which is normal but looking at at a a post-trauma growth um, um, regarding things so that you're not constantly looking at what was bad and what was negative but you're looking at how people um, gained resilience and what strategies help them do that and what's helping them now move through so i'm awaiting at the moment a response from the new zealand ministry of health on that but i'm equally interested obviously one um, back in Jersey and sort of close to the UK in, in engaging with people working in um, public strategy on this as well. So we're going to engage with the local government here as they move um, through the different phases of lockdown. Mm. Coming back to well, I, what I hope is a new normal, not going back to what was before. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's what fires me up now is to get involved with a, you know a broader perspective on this and see see if i can contribute towards that shift thank you for listening to the journal of biophilic design podcast